Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Software Crafts Podcast. Today with us we have Yoast. Hi Yoast. And Yoast is the head of test engineering at IPITQ. He's active in the community, sharing his knowledge, but he's also organized events, conferences and meetups. He's passionate advocate of modern testing practices with a track record of helping organizations and teams in their adoption. Joost, thanks for your time and to be present with us. Glad to be here. Cool. So, to start today, we have an heuristic to challenge you. The heuristic is, think of code and test as one. What is your view on this? My view on this is that it feels kind of old, actually, when I read it. Uh, the, the do the, do the viewers or listeners get to see the page as well and what we're talking about today or not? Yes, they get. Okay. So, um, TDD as a practice is well known. It's been around for ages and supposedly everybody does it. Uh, before we started the recording, I admitted to you that I never do it myself. I think, I, I and I thought about that for a bit before, uh, before the, uh, started this recording because um, I started really as a tester tester and I never wrote production code. So it's kind of who watches the watchers, right? Do you write tests for your test code? So I never ingrained that as a habit in my way of coding to start with tests because I was already, I was writing tests for something else. Um, but when I moved into a position where I was starting to write production code, I feel like I have the tests already in mind when I'm working on things and I implement them later. And I, I, my feeling is that I got this way of working from, from my starting point in my career as just a, just a test engineer. That is an interesting view. So are you, do you think that where we start in our software engineering practices dictates the practices that we get? as individuals? I think it's definitely, looking at the people I've worked with, I think the starting point, your your uh, your education, um, but also the context in which you start your career, it really uh, influences your way of working, right? So I started my career at a big web shop here in the Netherlands, known for being a front runner in Agile and DevOps. And um, that's where I learned the, the tricks of the trade, so to say, my way of working. And when I moved into consultancy after five and a half years, the first client I was at, it was so different. I had so such a single, um, how to put it in English, such a one-sided worldview, so to say, um, there was really a culture shock, like, how can you work like this? All the basics, all the things that at my previous employer I got for free and I was taken, taking for forgiven, for granted, they weren't in place there. So when I started out there, the first thing I did was just put the processes in place that I was used to and already saw an improvement. Like, we need to do code reviews. Uh, guys, we need to write unit tests because otherwise we're, we're going blind. Um, if we do a stand-up, Let's please not talk about the things we did yesterday where everything was okay, but let's talk about the things where we're stuck. Let's talk about the problems that we're having. Um, 
And that really helped already. But that was because I started out at this really agile DevOpsy company. And looking at education, um, my background is in information um, science. So not computer science, but information science, bit, bit of the softer side, so to say, less programming, bit of project management, bit of business related courses. And that really helps me as a test engineer to be the bridge between the business and technology, um, which um, looking at other test engineers that don't have that background, but come from a less technical uh, university, they often lack that and they need to catch up on that. So um, yes, your starting point influences things, but that doesn't mean we can't learn new ways of working. It just might take you more effort to get there because you miss some of the base knowledge that you need to, to be um, effective in current uh, technical context. Right, the, the stack is getting bigger and bigger. There's more and more abstractions, and you need some of the base knowledge of IT to be able to understand that and put it in perspective. That is a very, very interesting thought. Thanks. And since you have experience with different contexts, and uh, with your story, you show that you told told us that you are in a in a front runner company where these processes and practices are there. And then you move to a different contexts cultural shock, what will be your advice as the first things to look out in terms of what is missing for the quality of our software? I think it starts with communication. So being really clear on expectations that you have within the team being really clear in communicating your status. So in, in companies that have, um, that are just starting with working in agile, right? And doing stand-ups and stuff like that. They're trying to do it by the book. So it's, what did I do yesterday? What am I going to do today? And how do I have any blockers? Um, my experience is that the conversation about yesterday um, doesn't add a lot of value to the stand-up. So you see people zoning out because it's all information they already have or information that doesn't help them do their job better. Um, and then typically people do this in a round. So it's person by person. But um, when you're doing a sprint and the stories are prioritized by value that they're going to add, it often helps to switch the stand-up around to go story by story and talk about what's necessary to finish the story that day or make a plan, a battle plan for the story that you're going to work on as a team together instead of having individuals saying, yes, I was working on the story yesterday, today I'm going to do it again and I don't need help. Then you're not working together as a team and you're not making progress in delivering the value that the product owner put into the sprint. Thanks Thanks for, uh, for sharing your experience and um, a really nice uh, starting point. And um, from more, um, you talk about team and communication. There is any other practices that can amplify this behavior after the, the way that we communicate our intention, for instance, in a stand-up? I think what's really important is to you to have the you need to have a clearly defined purpose as a team 
why are we why do we exist what are we trying to achieve and and have some sort of ownership over the application that you're building and the direction that it's going and um, everybody has a starting point everybody at some point uh, in time needed to learn how to work effectively and as a team when you're newly formed together as a group um, and every time a person leaves or joins the balance in the team is going to shift so the retrospective is the most important meeting or the most important ritual I would say to, to discuss these kind of things and, and um, continuously keep improving the way of working in the team are we still being effective with our code reviews is the demo adding value um, and then all the other ways of working that you have, or it uh, can also be technical, of course, you need to evaluate those constantly and make sure that it's still fast enough for your team. You're getting fast feedback. It's still effective. You're, you're, it's adding value to uh, your development process. And it's increasing the quality of what you're building. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it makes. Thanks. Again, it's... Um if I can summarize, I can I can see that the trends that it's communication, it's uh, transparency, it's the, the getting the bound as a team that will enable later on the engineering practices. And uh, as a follow up question, I, I I see a trend in the industry where lots of companies do the the scrum by the book, so we have the x amount of weeks to do the retrospectives. But the trend that I'm seeing now is that people are trying daily retrospectives in the end of the day. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I think it's great. Um, I've never tried it myself. Um, it, 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 here it also comes to culture, right? Are you able to create a safe enough place that people are willing to speak up right when it happens? And uh, the retrospective as a, uh, as a ritual can be helpful in creating that space because people are in the mindset to receive feedback and, and talk about how they are acting in the team. But ideally... You do it right when it happens, because then you can uh, reinforce the, the behavior you would like to see instead of the behavior that is detrimental to what's happening in the team. Very interesting. So you talk about uh, another concept, a safe place. Uh, in your career as consultant, and now you started um, as head of a department, so the responsibilities shift. How ideally you create a safe environment for people and teams? That's a good question. Uh, as a consultant, um, as a test engineer, I always felt I have to show my, show my value. And then by showing that I'm adding something to the team, you start creating trust and people start valuing your opinion. Um, and it, and it, it wildly differs how long that takes. It can be Half a year can be a few months, depending on um, the starting point of the team. So, uh, and it depends on the culture of the company you're uh, working for as the consultant as well. So, at this bank, for example, where it was my first assignment as a consultant, it took a bit longer because people were a bit more, they were change wary. There were change programs all the time. And then this young consultant comes in and he's, having all of kinds of IDs, throwing them into the air. And it took a while for people to get used to that and to build that trust. Um, at this other place, it was an airline. Um, I came in at the platform team to help them build their new cloud platform. And these were people that had 
never worked in Scrum before, that had never really done development with version control and, and pipelines. They were used to a lot of manual processes and having scripts on their local machines and just executing that by themselves. Um, and there I was able to show my value much quicker by putting those processes in place, by determining the way of working and taking them along and explaining why we're working the way we're working. Uh, and there was just a couple of months before we reached this state that we were able to give feedback to each other openly uh, in the group um, and have that understanding that it's okay to make a mistake or do something wrong. We can just talk about it and we can set the way forward together. So um, one of the practices we did in that team, as an example, was after stand-up, we would make, uh, during the stand-up, we would make our battle plan for the sprint and the stories in the sprint. And after stand-up, we would gather at the whiteboard to draw it out, to make a diagram and, and then put names of people to the different parts that we needed to build so everybody had that shared understanding. So it's uh, not individuals doing parts, but individuals working on one thing and integrating it in a proper way. Cool. So I see another part uh, pop, uh, pattern emerging, right? Team as a unit rather than just indiv individual contributors. Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, it's it's interesting because then uh, this pattern is uh, emerging in the, the episodes that I'm recording. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's my own bias with the guests, can be. Um, but also after you get those feedback cycles uh, running, how do you then move to a Nike performance team? So you have two cases: one that took longer, constraints were different. Another one that uh, was faster, and after that, what what exists after that? Once you have the basics in place, it's about looking at what's slowing you down the most. So theory of constraints, looking at your entire system as a process of delivering a user story, seeing where you're being constrained the most, what's slowing you down, where does the code start moving uh, at a pace that's unhealthy for your process. Um, and then starting to or alleviate that bottleneck so that it's moving as, uh, you're putting as much throughput there as possible. Um, and then moving to the next bottleneck, basically. So um, to give an example, um, at this bank I was working at, we were doing a uh, front end for internet banking as a module in one application that was being built on by, I think it was 30 teams. And then they would release once every four months after a big regression test, mostly manual. Um, and we had a deadline like half a year uh, from now. So we were going, those release, that release cycle was way too slow. We were being impacted by changes by others. So we would do our part, we would merge this huge branch with three months of changes, which is it's already crazy, right? Uh, to the release candidate. And then we couldn't release because somebody else in those 30 teams would make a mistake. And that would have happen every release, of course, because there's way too much code to release in one go. So that became our biggest bottleneck at that point. And um, what I did to alleviate that was um, fight for our own machines, fight for our own deployable unit, 
um, which at a bank takes some time because there's a lot of processes and uh, uh, sign-offs that you have to get before that's possible. But once we had our own application that we could control where we had we had our own pipeline suddenly and we had our own build scripts, we could uh, determine our own release pace, things started to move a lot quicker. So um, there was one way how I got rid of that bottleneck in the process. Very interesting. Um, and and thanks for sharing the, the, the practices on a, a constrained environment. I think that that can be helpful for, for people that are listening, that are on the same situation. Um, and I also would like to return to your first statement. So the heuristic uh, says that think about uh, code and test as one. And you had remarked that um, this is old pra practice, right? I uh, can imagine that, well, start with um, uh, extreme programming, XP, more than 25 years ago with the concept of self-testing code, as Kent Peck wrote. And I also know that you are a big advocate of modern testing practices. What are modern testing practices, in your opinion? So the, the most influential in this space would be Alan Page and Brent Jensen. Uh, Those are two guys that met at Microsoft. Uh, Alan Page wrote the book, How We Do Testing at Microsoft, for example. Um, and recently, or I think it's already a, a few years ago, actually, they released a list of seven principles called the Modern Testing Principles, um, which are, to me, um, when I read those principles, it immediately clicked. So the main purpose of the Modern Testing Principles is is to accelerate the achievement of shippable quality. And that's um, as one cent as one as the main mission, so to say. And for me that's exactly what testing should be about. We're in this transition where in more waterfall environments we do testing late at the end of the process and then we're sort of a gatekeeper. We're uh, presenting our test results and giving an advice whether it's safe to release or not, right? But Once you move into a more DevOps way of working where teams have uh, more autonomy, where teams are taking the responsibility for doing their own releases to production and um, are also responsible for fixing any issues if they do a bad release, you see that this, is, uh, this role of the test engineer is switching from an information provider to a quality accelerant. So under the pressure of achieving a better time to market. Uh, development practices have shifted to stuff like continuous delivery and, and now the emerging trend, progressive delivery, to be able to deliver new software, adding value for the customers faster and faster, which means that the time for testing is going down. There's no way that you can um, freeze the changes for four weeks and do a manual regression test and then hold up your green flag or your red flag. Okay, we're ready to go to production, right? You need to build quality in right from the start because if you want to release every day, multiple times every day, you need a lot of automation and you need to have uh, processes in place that allow you to monitor how those changes are behaving on production before it's safe to do so. Um, I put that very poorly. Um, having continuous delivery in place, having awesome observability, 
having ways to do releases smart, like canary releases and fast rollbacks. Those are prerequisites before you can start working like that. Thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, sharing those practices. I will make sure that um, this information is in the description of the episode so you can follow uh, modern testing principles and also the, these practices that Yoast just mentioned. So in DevOps, we, we, we heard a lot the, the shifting left. Mm -hmm. Is testing shifting left or shifting right? Both. You need both to... to to achieve that faster time to market, uh, like I said, you need to build quality in. And from my point of view, that's shifting left. That's putting pressure on requirements in an early stage. That's doing a lot of automation um, at an early stage, ideally during the build, where you verify a lot of the functional aspects of your application already, so that you have to do less integration testing and end-to-end -end testing in an integrated environment. And that will allow you to move a lot faster. So, um, what I've experienced is in, in, in a uh, service-oriented architecture um, where in one of the companies that I worked at, we had this journey, right? From And it's very common, moving from uh, a monolithic landscape to a service-oriented or a microservice-oriented architecture. And then uh, the testing practices need to evolve too. Because for this monolithic application, it was quite easy to have the typical development test application production uh, street with environments but if you start doing that for uh, a distributed system like that with uh, all kinds of small components the testing becomes much harder beca because you have suddenly you have a distributed state you have contracts that need to be uh, adhered to and need to be verified all those components there's a lot of m lot more moving components that need to be online and available so what, what we notice is that the integration testing and the end-to-end -end testing became much harder. And as the amount of services grow, it's impossible for one test engineer or one team to grasp the domains that you need to interact with. So um, pushing the testing left, creating an isolated environment where you're talking to stubs or mocks and verifying the component that you are building, the changes that you are most interested in, that allows you to focus on adding the value through your service instead of uh, spending a lot of time on an integrated environment, wrestling with test data, services that are down, uh, bugs that have been deployed by other teams that will slow your process down but aren't necessarily uh, your responsibility. Very interesting to, 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 to see your story, how the, the, the practices are changing. I believe that that is important to have this agile mindset and trade-offs, right? Um, and do you believe... So, test is about validation, right? You talk about requirements, put pressure on the left side. Um, so, I can see that testing is validating those assumptions and those requirements and those uh, that gathering and that code that make the, the value possible. But also we have the, the, the other side, scientific method, the experimentation. Mm -hmm. How do you see that these two worlds, validation and experiment, goes uh, in a DevOps on an agile mindset within a company? And then, then you come into the territory of shift right, basically, and how you do... Uh, 
let's say you have this hypothesis, right? That if we make the, uh, the, uh, the buy button green instead of red, we will sell more. Um, if you have made the shift right, uh, so it's basically A-B testing of two versions of your application. If you have made the shift right, you should be able to deploy those versions next to each other, direct part of your traffic to both versions, and then see if it improves the conversion, right? So for testing, this is really interesting because uh, it doesn't have to be about uh, A-B testing. You could also say the hypothesis is that the latest version of my application will be better than the previous. And then if you deploy it, you need to have the observability in place to see from the metrics and the logging that your application is generating, whether it's uh, functioning in a healthy state. And based on that information, you can decide to promote the new version uh, fully and have all the traffic go there, or decide to take it down again and, and uh, start a new hypothesis and build a new version of your application and deploy that. Cool, uh, makes perfect sense. And I have a follow-up question. When you will not apply these type of techniques, what are the things that you are going to look in the environment that doesn't pay off this investment? So from my point of view, uh, we talked about it a little bit previously already. These kind of practices start to add value when time to market is important to your business model. So uh, e-commerce or uh, any industry where it's important to be a first mover in the market with a new feature. Um, if there's life at stake, if uh, uh, it's absolutely important to have consistency, like in a banking system, uh, you have to be more selective with the domains where you can do this. Not every uh, application is suitable for that way of releasing, from my point of view. Um, but as we get better at this, that's something that's probably the range of applications where you can do it. As we get more mature with these toolings and ways of working, it's probably going to widen up a bit. But for now, I would play it on the safe side personally. Cool. And do you have any rules of thumbs when you are doing these analysis and giving these um, advice where it's more safe or less safe to apply these experiments? Mm. I wouldn't say rules. I think it's very context dependent. It's dependent on the business goals. It's dependent on the maturity that you have. Um, so it's more of a set of heuristics maybe that you need to apply that yeah, they change for every context. Cool, cool. Um, and with this, we are going towards the end of the episode. This half an hour just Already? Flies. Already. Oh, man. Um, I believe that we need to do a follow-up episode to go more in-depth on some of these topics because I believe that we could pass hours talking about this. It would be nice, yeah. Yes. Why not? Um, and I will like um, to propose you for you to do a recommendation about some resources. can be books, can be mm -hmm. podcasts, can be blog. We already mentioned the work uh, of Microsoft Fellows. Mm -hmm. But do you have any other resources for people to go on this journey uh, that you embarked a few years back? So I think modern testing principles is definitely the place to start. Uh, they have a great podcast, by the way. It's really interesting and fun to listen to. 
those guys have a lot of fun uh, and interesting topics to talk about. So on your commute, that's definitely uh, something you should check out. Um, other resources, it's um, for me, it's um, it's a combination of things. So it's um, following the right people on Twitter because there's a lot of really nice content out there on Twitter. You don't need to engage in all the uh, internet discussions because uh, nobody wins those, by the way. So um, thanks for, for, for sharing these resources. Uh, I imagine that the, the, the amount of information that exists um, is huge. And I believe that it's like spaghetti. Once we pick one string, all of the other strings will start popping up. Um, and with this, we get to the towards the end, the end of the end of this episode. And I want to once again uh, to thank for your time uh, on this hot day. So, thanks. No worries, was happy to be here. Yes, thanks. So, um, you can check out us on Twitter. You can look for at scraftspodcast. We also have our website, softwarecraftspodcast.com. And if you also prefer, we have our LinkedIn page. Look out for Software Crafts. Hope to see you next week and please give us feedback.